This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Stadium Negara, Malaysia's very first indoor stadium. Unlike its neighbour, Stadium Merdeka, Stadium Negara did not have the luster of hosting a highly significant event for our country, but it did play host to some memorable events, including the Thomas Cup in 1992. The fourth match was the second doubles. Subang Kang and Chia Sun Kit of Malaysia played Ricky Subagja and Rexy Mainaki of Indonesia. The Malaysians made the ideal start, winning the opening game 15-12. The stadium is also more accessible to a lot more people as it also hosts cultural events including concerts and performances. So let's shine a light on this stadium with our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa sharing its story. Well, Stadium Merdeka of course is highlighted because it's Merdeka Stadium, right? Because, you know, it's related to the Declaration of Independence, both Malaya and Malaysia. So people will kind of know the name. I don't know how many people have actually visited the places and I would say the people of my generation and maybe younger you know would have visited both places and been to events there and all of that but I'm not sure about people of your generation you know having been because Stadium Nagara um, has not been in use except for concerts um, for many many years now you know since the early 1990s it kind of fell into disuse or, or less usage when, you know, the more modern stadiums came up around the place and certainly after the stadiums in the Commonwealth Games came up, there were more modern facilities available. And so, you know, I think, I suspect that that's one of, among the reasons why both uh, the stadiums were, were underutilized, maybe, if I could say that. But Stadium Nagara, I mean, look at its name, it's so Stadium Nagara, come on. It's really important to the nation. I mean, you know, you don't get like this, you know, national title so easily, right? These days, well, at least before the pandemic, Stadium Negara is more well-known as a venue that has hosted a lot more concerts rather than sporting events. But it has actually hosted a fair share of iconic tournaments once upon a time. I mean, it's built as a stadium. It's built as an arena. It's built as a sports facility. Um, so yes, that was its primary intention. But it was a multifunctional space as well. When it was built in 1962, if I remember correctly, it was built and opened in time, in the nick of time, literally in the nick of time. And I suppose it's uh, timely that we're talking about it because of the Olympics going on now, right? But it was built in time for the Asian uh, Federation of Badminton Tournament that was going to be hosted by Malaya, Malaysia. Well, Malaya, it would still be Malaya because it was 1962. And um, major badminton uh, tournament. And of course, you know, we were Malaya and obviously Malaysia subsequently, you know, we are huge badminton. We're, you know, we, we, we have, we are on the the star list, right? You know what I mean? You know, we're, we're there on the list when you look at, you know, major championships and things like that. And we've, you know, proved it 
over the many, many years, you know. So the stadium was built and it hosted that event as the first event, per se. And <clears throat> yes, it's held Thomas Cup, it's held, you know, other kinds of events before, you know, the other more dedicated use stadiums, you know, badminton, for example, the badminton stadium came up, you know. So, yeah, it, it's a completely beautiful, in my view, modern structure. It's, I suppose you could say it's round, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a circular space. And I think that it uh, has an arena which has got no columns on it. So it's completely free of columns. And the way it was built, I suppose, is, is, is and it's built next to Stadium Merdeka in the vicinity of uh, another stadium, uh, the Chinwu Stadium. So the Chinwu Stadium was built in the early 1950s. Of course, Stadium Merdeka was built, you know, 56, 57. And then this stadium was built um, in 1962. It took a couple of years, I think, to build. And the, the three of them sit on the same hill, so to speak, on Petaling Hill. So it, in a way, it was a complex of sports facilities. And this made up you know, the third of that complex. Um, as I said, I, I really think it's a very beautiful structure. It's very neglected or it, it's lost, I think, in the scheme of things. It's kind of never really been been highlighted because it's a modest structure it's it doesn't it's not grand it's not you know um grand in the sense of like highly decorated and all of that but really if you look at the details of it and if you go in if you ever have the chance to go in go in and look for details look at the way the architect and the designer you know played with uh, mosaics played with pattern and played with light and shade. Uh, it, you know, it was built for the tropics, so to speak, right? But it was built for sports. And you had to play badminton. And for games like badminton, you cannot have, you know, wind blowing left, right and centre, right? So it, it was an indoor stadium. So you could control wind uh, flowing because if you play outdoors, you know, when we play badminton outdoors as kids, and some people still play badminton outdoors, not as kids, you know. But when you play badminton and it's windy, your shuttlecock will go, you know, maybe to places you didn't intend it to go to, like, you know, in directions it would move. Um, so, you you know, this, this stadium had to be built um, to control the atmospheric conditions inside. And it was huge. So there were there are many um, courts on that arena. And the evidence of the, the original intention is still very prevalent. The building itself, I think, experienced lots of changes over the years. But when you look at it, you, you, you will recognize the, the original intention and you will recognize the, the original patterns. Like I say, open your eyes and look at the details, you know, um, because the design of it is not flashy, but very 
specific so that you actually see what it was built for. It was built for sports. It was built for culture. It was also built for culture, by the way. Our first expo center, <laughs> it was, you know, you could have um, trade exhibitions held there in columnless, in a huge columnless hall. So before our big convention centers and things like that came up, we had Stadium Nagara. Mm, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the, like, I guess, the architect responsible for this? Because if I'm not mistaken, the architect is also um, the one responsible for Stadium Nagara, right? Yeah, yeah. His name was um, Stanley Jukes. Um, uh, he passed away, sadly passed away um, in uh, 2011. But by that time, he was like, you know, in his late 90s. This was his last building project in Malaya. He was the head of the Public Works Department. And he was, you know, I mean, I, I see him and his relationship with um, the then Prime Minister, Tunku Abdul Rahman, which kind of like, if, if you, I'm not going to say started with the building of Stadium Merdeka, but if you're looking at sporting venues, yeah, um, his relationship with, Tunku Abdul Rahman building Stadium Merdeka and then, you know, five years later building Stadium Nagara. They kind of like worked together because, you know, I mean, Tunku Abdul Rahman, I think we all know, you know, was a great fan of, of sports. And he saw, you know, he wanted to, in a way, democratize the sporting space and um, make it available to everyone. Um, it was not an elitist kind of space. So that's part of the reason why you find the stadium in actually kind of like really in the middle of the city. A lot of stadiums are kind of like built on the edge of the city. Like if you look at the Commonwealth Games uh, village, for example, and facilities, all, all the sports facilities, you know, because you need to have lots of space, they're built a little bit on the outer ring, you know, outer side um, of the city. And when um, in the 1950s and early 60s, of course, KL was a very, the built part of KL is really quite small. Huh? It's what we think about the area around uh, the confluence of the river around Mr. Jamek, you know, and, and what we think about as Chinatown. And this was on the edge of it, <clears throat> which meant that people who lived in the town could just walk to it. It was not, you didn't have to travel distances. And if you think about it, if you can walk to it, uh, you know, it's kind of like in your neighborhood, so to speak, or it's, you know, it's nearby, but it is, it presents you with the kind of sporting facilities that are off its time, you know, world-class, right? Uh, I'm not saying they're world-class now, but, you know, off its time, that was what they were. And monumental because, There were large spaces, both uh, Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Nagara. But Stadium Nagara could seat as an indoor facility. It could seat over 10,000 people. And it had, um, it wasn't air-conditioned, but it had a system of cooling, a cooling system, uh, where in the grandstand area, uh, the seats that were there uh, had this, little um they had this, this it's it's really it's very fun. you actually have to see it to to know but in the in the arms of the seat there were these little outlets you know where air which could be pushed up you know could uh, could be pushed out so it was kind of like blowing air 
and that helped cool uh, the grandstand area. Um, the rest of the stadium uh, had bleachers, so they were benched. And on those bleachers, underneath those bleachers, again, there were these uh, ventilation, open ventilation, you know, which would then allow air to move. So you don't have like today's stadiums, you know, fully air conditioned and things like that. But at the time they were built and looking at the ambient temperatures in, you know, KL at that time, the facility was comfortable enough for, uh, you know, its use without air conditioning. Nowadays, and that's a different story. Nowadays, the ambient temperature is, you know, five degrees higher, um, you know, and in, on a hot day, it becomes impossible to to be indoors um, without air conditioning on for, you know, comfort levels. But then, yeah, it was built um, that there was a lot of ventilation, which allowed uh, through, you know, air to be, you know, to be thrown into not on the arena because the arena was lower, but onto the seating. Um, a lot of light was let in because you have windows, a glass fixed some of them and some of them louvered that could be open at angles to allow um, air to flow through. And um, if they were glass windows, then allowing light to come through. So really it was, you know, all of these things were being thought about and you don't, we kind of like expect, like, you know, okay, like, you know, a building must have light, it must have ventilation, it must have air. We don't think about it. But imagine trying to build a huge structure in not very much time at all and uh, to make it columnless because you don't want to have columns which will affect, uh, well, not just airflow, but also, you know, you can't have a court and then a column next to you, right? So you have to have big open space, right? And that kind of thing, I think, was built into the design. But what I really liked, really, really liked about the place was the fact that these little details that Jukes built into this, um, Stanley Jukes built into this, um, was on the front of the building as you entered into the main entrance. There were, by the way, uh, four entrances, three, four the audience and one kind of like for uh, like the back door like for loading and unloading for whoever you know the working crew you know that was a back entrance into the stage area but from the audience side but if you take it as you enter the building from the front on the left and the right of the entrance there are these um, very modern almost abstract cutouts almost like a wayang kulit, you know, okay? Made out of uh, 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 silhouettes, I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, silhouettes uh, on one side showing sports and on the other side, that means different kinds of sports, you know, the ball, the shuttlecock, somebody playing uh, uh, badminton. And then on the other side, uh, showing performance, showing dance and showing music. And so if you look at these two, they're not murals because they were painted, but these two sculptures almost, yeah, um, you know, which, which are fabricated in metal. And looking at them, you know, you look at, you immediately know uh, the purpose of the building, what you will find inside it. So it was meant for sports, but it also had a function for culture, the kebudayaan. 
And I think that that, that was very forward-looking because, you know, very often you look at a sports facility is only for sports. You look at a performance facility like a theatre, it's only for that purpose, right? This was multifunctional. Um, and so it meant that when you're not using it for sports, you can use it for something else. And to use it for performance, there was a stage uh, that could come up. It was kind of like hidden. And then it could, um, you know how you know how you have these stages that pop up from the floor, yeah. Uh, well, you know that there was this stage that could be elevated, so to speak. Um, you know, like there was like this pneumatic lift system that could bring the uh, stage up, and the stage uh, would then be used for performances. It would also be used for speeches, and you could build around that. You know. Um, while the main arena, uh, this was to one end of the arena, and then while the main arena itself uh, was uh, um, for the sports itself, for the basketball and for badminton, which was on the floor of the arena. So it's that kind of like thinking, I suppose, you know, um, and how do you make a building like that really very structurally um, sound, Architecturally, I think from an, I'm not an engineer nor an architect, but when I think about it, I think about the amphitheater, uh, you know, the Greek amphitheater, which is very stable because it's built into a hillside. It is built into the ground, so to speak. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. The bowl, the arena. Imagine if you had a bowl, uh, you cup your hand and you... And you make an indentation, you know, you make a sandcastle, you know what I mean? You make an indentation and then you place a bowl. It's very stable because it is surrounded by earth. It is not piled, it's not, it doesn't have, uh, you know, it's not suspended, it's not, you know, it, it sits on a very stable surface. And that, in effect, is how Jukes built both uh, Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Nagara, with the base being supported like an earth by an earth bowl, so to speak. And then the structure then grows up around it. So really, really smart way of doing it because um, you have a stable structure um, and you don't have to spend that much money because you are not, you're not having to do deep piles like you would have to do for a, a skyscraper, you know, a high-rise. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, talking about Stadium Negara, Malaysia's first indoor stadium. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Anif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Elizabeth Cardosa joins me on the show as we look at the history of Stadium Negara this month. We have spoken about the design and the architecture of the stadium earlier, and now we're going to focus on its location and how strategic and accessible it is. 
I, I like that uh, you mentioned earlier that it was built at a very strategic location um, because I think one of the intentions was to make sure that it's it's not very elitist, right? That, or rather, it's not very far away from the community, right? Because I think if you think about how a lot of stadiums are built these days, sometimes the I guess priority is more on making sure that we have enough space and also traffic, right? So you end up having you know stadiums you know in the outskirts of cities rather than you know in the middle of the city, right? Mm-hmm. Because you need a lot of space and all of that, and and this that's why I say you know it was really something which was um, which took into consideration the fact that you didn't have to travel far, you could walk to, and therefore it made it accessible, you know, and at I suppose personal cost lah because you you know uh, use you know your two feet you know to get there or bicycle or whatever, and even if you were coming in by car. At the time that they were built, you know, we didn't have the kind of personal disposable wealth, I think, that you would say. So people would take the bus. They would come into the town and then be able to walk to the stadium. Whereas now you kind of have to pay, you know, you have to build additional infrastructure, LRT, MRT, to get to it. So you didn't have to build the infrastructure because you use the fact that this was on the edge of the city of what was then the 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 most populated or built up part of the city um and it was still within you know walking distance from the original town center or if not taking a bus in and then walking so not so you didn't have those lengthy distances where you have to plan oh i want to go to the stadium and i have to spend an hour you know doing all of that so your transit times were much more i suppose comfortable for for general for a general public you know it's not something that you have to plan ahead and strategize and spend a lot of money getting a taxi to or you know uh taking an MRT or an LRT and and you can just walk or take a bus and then walk the last mile so the connectivity was was there it was and and that's what i mean by it being in a sense democratizing you know uh because it allowed um it made it, it they were placed access they were accessible to the general public mm-hmm. and the accessibility is also important uh, considering that the stadium was built with the intention of not only i guess hosting um sporting events but also cultural events right so i think yeah it, it is more important that you know um a multi-purpose stadium is also accessible right from that perspective yep yep it just means that you know uh you can get to it and out of it more quickly in terms of distance from your your own where you live your residence um it also meant that you provided you know the kind of facility that was not like so um far away lah it wasn't it wasn't built as a monument you know it was built as a functional space and i think that because it was built as a functional space it was built to provide these kinds of facilities um and so while you could host uh, the thomas cup you could host you know major boxing events you could host international events you could also have little stage shows but you could also have huge international shows there 
So you you actually, you know, it, it became more than just, you know, multifunctional. It also cut across all layers. It wasn't, you know, this is like, you know, only related to the kings and queens and princes and, you know, the higher-ups of society. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, the rakyat, have to play in the little padang outside. No, it was for everyone. And I think that that was something that was very forward-looking uh, in terms of its its placement, I suppose, in KL. I think now it's a little uh, sad that, the stadium, I think, and its architecture haven't been recognised in the same way that maybe some other buildings have because it's not large. I mean, it's if you want to look at it, it's an arena with about 10,000 seats. It is doesn't have the kind of facilities that we look for today, uh, you know, big you know, air conditioning, sound systems that can provide for, you know, major concerts and parking, of course, because, you know, we are a society that is very vehicle conscious. You know, we move on our own, like singular personal vehicle. We're moving toward, but we're less, I suppose you can say, green in that sense. Uh, you know, but society is moving toward that, obviously, you know, with better traffic infrastructure being built up. Uh, but we're not there yet. And so, you know, the facilities provide a good size for a lot of activities, not too large, not too small. Um, so if you need to have major sporting facilities, definitely go out to uh, the Bukit Jalil uh, complexes where there are many different, you know, major facilities. And a lot of, uh, there are a lot of stadiums in different neighborhoods, right? You know, KL Stadium in Chiras, you know, Salayang has a stadium. You know, there are many of these other facilities outside of the city center, which are more neighborhood or more in, in different areas, yeah, uh, different districts. But um, this was uh, something which was national. Remember, it's called Stadium Nagara. So we have to remember, you know, what did it mean to the Nagara? How is it positioned? And I think that that's why I said, you know, sometimes if it's a bit sad that we've forgotten its value and its significance to the nation in terms of nation building, in terms of facilities that were being provided and built for at, and in those early days of independence. Mm. You're right. I think to a certain extent, it doesn't um, receive enough attention compared to, I guess, uh, other stadiums. I have more iconic stadiums, um, granted, right? But but still, like you want our stadium Nagara to also, I guess, still be recognized as one of the more iconic buildings in in KL, yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Because it is called Stadium Nagara, you know, it it really should have, you know, a very much, I think, much more. It should be more present, I think, in our thinking. And when, you know, when when the um, when it was first, I think, in in at the time of looking at in terms of the national spirit, Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Megara were looked at as you know places, buildings which represented healthy minds and healthy bodies. You know, so the healthy mind, you know, to do with culture, the healthy body, 
to do with sports. And these are things that really we should capture, I think, in our in our present, you know, in the way we think presently, in in how we move on. I mean, given the the pandemic and raging around us, I think that that is not something that I would say we have to open stadium on because we really cannot. But I'm just saying that when you know you have this notion of you know how does sports elevate us physically and mentally, right? Um, and I think the 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 present Olympics is something to to look at, you know, and to remember that. But also, how does culture, you know, how does dance, how does music help us, you know, elevate ourselves um, emotionally and spiritually, you know, and how does that resonate with our, you know, very being? And I think that that combination was very much part of the philosophy behind the design of Stadium Negara. Mm. What's the future for Stadium Negara based on your projection? <laughs> well, well I, I mean, you know, one you have to ask the owners, right? Currently, it is owned by PNB uh, Merdeka Ventures. Well, PNB and uh, Merdeka Ventures are the company, PNB Merdeka Ventures, are its custodians. Um, well, are, the, are its site, it's it's site um, they're not the owners pnb is the owner but they are it's kind of like they are the stewards yeah they look after it and the merdeka heritage trust which pnb set up you know is uh, responsible for for making sure the the building because remember oh that the other thing is the building has been gazetted as a national heritage it's on the Dafta Warisan. And that was a way that PNB, that was something that PNB, a step PNB took to make sure that the building would not be demolished because in the early 1990s, Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Nagara were um, slated for um, demolition, certainly Stadium Merdeka. And that whole area was, you know, going to be rebuilt you know, into the into some other kind of commercial development. And I think that the, so when PNB took over the ownership from UEM through Danaharta, uh, and that's a long and that's a completely different story, which I'm sure, uh, you know, BFM can go through another day on your property show. You will see that the buildings were needed to be protected and PNB recognized that because they're right now in the middle of the city. You know, hot, hot commercial property land, right? You know, at very high, you know, potentially uh, per square foot, you know, uh, um, values, land values. And then their stadium, you know, what can you do with a stadium, right? Demolish it and build something on it that would make it commercially more viable. Uh, but because of their... There and the forward thinking of um, at that time to Namatsaji, who was the chairman of uh, PNB and the board of PNB, I must say he was fully supported by the full board of PNB, recognized that look, you know, we can't let go our historical past in such a cavalier manner, and we really uh, have to be mindful of understanding our roots because, you know, we are here because we were there. 
and these were part a part of our story, the Malaysian story, and not just the story of architecture, but the story of sports, the story of, of you know our our progress as a nation. And um, so what they did was um, they got the buildings, both uh, Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Negara, gazetted under the Antiquities Act as national monuments. And when the Antiquities Act was repealed and the National Heritage Act came into play, they became national, you know, put on the National Heritage Register as national buildings. And that is a way of ensuring that the buildings will, you know, remain and be retained for the benefit of all Malaysians. And the buildings should be retained for the benefit of all Malaysians in its original, you know, it's so that the original use, which was there, you know, the healthy mind, healthy body, as sports facilities, as facilities which should be accessible to all Malaysians, um, that uh, is something that is in the in the planning, in the thinking, I believe, of um, PNB Merdeka Ventures. And so the development of the PNB Merdeka 118 Tower complex beside it, it you know, has planned so that these two stadiums and the stadium and the Chinwu Stadium, you know, are left intact. Um, how they are planning to use them or involve or evolve, you know, how the stadiums may evolve as a result of this new major, uh, major, major development, I don't know. And that's for us to see and to watch for in the future. But certainly by gazetting the buildings as under Act 645, you know, as in the National Heritage Act, that uh, was an, a really important step um, because it was taken by an independent, it wasn't taken by the government of Malaysia, it was taken by, you know, a corporate entity. And so I think that that kind of determination is not just admirable, it was really quite, it was so forward-looking, recognising the need to retain and to highlight, I think, the importance of these structures um, to, to the national story. And for that, I would say, you know, Ahmad Saji, Tun Ahmad Saji and the board are completely to be commended. And uh, Ahmad Saji worked with, um, as Tunku Abdul Rahman worked with Jukes, I always say, um, as his sidekick almost, you know, the architect interpreting the vision of the Prime Minister at that time. Ahmad Saji had a vision and uh, the architect he worked with was uh, Lawrence Lowe. And um, I, I was involved in the project as well as some others, uh, as several other people, uh, you know, some of whom are still involved in the looking after the custodianship of the buildings. I think it's really important to try to find a fit, a good fit, a viable fit, a fit that recognises the significance and the values of you know, what these buildings represent in moving forward, you know, within the context of the new development, you know, of KL. I think that's really important too. I hope that happens.
You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa joined us to talk about Stadium Negara, Malaysia's first indoor stadium. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you missed any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Hanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital. City. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.